Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here, and I'm really excited to share this next interview featuring none other than the amazing Ted Gibson. You've seen his beautiful work everywhere, from publications like Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Marie Claire, and Vanity Fair, to runway shows for Chanel, Prada, Dolce & Gabbana, and New York Fashion Week. When we got together to record this interview, Ted shared some of his tips for balancing a celebrity clientele, managing a successful salon, and creating new products, while giving back and making a difference in the industry he loves. If you enjoy this interview and want others to benefit from Ted's wisdom, please take a minute to rate it, comment, and share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe on www.masterspodcastclub.com to receive information about new podcasts and other news. Now please enjoy the incredible Ted Gibson. Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here. And welcome to this wonderful issue of uh, Masters. And, uh, you know, I feel so fortunate month after month to be able to sit with these incredible people who have accomplished so much in and outside of the beauty industry. And uh, I feel like I'm, well, I am sitting here with a, a superstar here in Manhattan. I'm at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel getting ready to participate in Intercofure this weekend, which uh, is quite an honor to even be here, let alone be a participant and I have been trying to hook up with this man for a very long time. And, of course, I had to pull in every favor from, you know, my other superstar friends, uh, such as Vivian McKinder and Beth Minardi. And, of course, no matter who I said your name to, they're like, oh, we love Ted. Really? Oh, yeah. That's so nice. So I'm sitting here with Ted Gibson. <laughs> Ted, welcome to Masters. Thank you so much. And thanks for agreeing to do this. Oh, my it's, God. Uh, You're a legend. You know, it's really nice to be able to talk to you and actually finally meet you. So thank you very much for asking. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, um... Gosh, we've been doing this now for 15 years. How long has your career been going on? Oh, my God. I've been here just for about 24 years. How old are you? <laughs> I'll be 46 next month. Dang, November. you look good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I got to tell our oh, listeners nice. who Ted is. Not that you don't uh, see him in magazines and hear about him, both because of his extreme success in business, but also you're currently using your talent, your notoriety, and your, your gifts for uh, giving back to, which we're going to talk about today, too. Okay. You know, Thank anytime you. that anybody does that, you know, there's this uh, Generation G, which is not identified by when they were born, but it's the G stands for generosity. Nice. And there's this growing sense that people are pretty fed up with, you know, the greed that exists in government, the greed that exists in a society nowadays. Mm -hmm. And now consumers are saying... You better be just as concerned with giving back to your local community, mm -hmm. to your national community, to your world community as you are in putting money in your own pocket. I completely agree. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. customers are looking, okay, I can spend money at that salon or this salon. Absolutely. And sometimes the choice is, well, they give back. They raise money for breast cancer. They're walking in that walk. They're active in AIDS campaigns, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I know that you believe strongly in that as well. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it's really hard to pick the initiative that I really want to support. And 
you know, I'm, I'm trying to get accustomed to myself to know that I don't necessarily have to do just one. So if several of them make my heart sing, then that's what I should do. And, you know, I'm really interested right now in a few things. And one of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, ovarian cancer. I have a, some friends of mine who have passed away from ovarian cancer and some friends who are suffering from it now. And, you know, a lot of people that talk is, you know, mostly about breast cancer, but ovarian cancer can sometimes be the one that's not the most curable. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting a whole big campaign in 2012 to really focus on building that kind of awareness. And also, you know, something that's really close to my heart is what I'm talking about is we need an Oscar for hair. And I started this campaign on Facebook about two months ago. And the reason why I started it is because, you know, a lot of my friends do movies. They do great hair. They make these amazing, amazing, iconic images, and then they don't get rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. There's no kind of um, n- honor for them at all. And and most people, when I say, did you know that hair isn't on the ballot at the Oscars? The hairdressers don't get an Oscar. And they're like, what? I never even, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. It says makeup. So what they do is they actually put makeup and hair together. So you, But on the set, nobody does both right so it just doesn't make any sense to me that are you they making headway with that I, I like are people listening they're they... very very receptive to it very very receptive to it you know some of my celebrity clients are behind me which i'm really excited about what i'm doing is i'm going to start this campaign on facebook and then i'm going to start a petition and with that petition i'm going to go to the academy and really show them how important hairdressers are that's so cool yeah do the oscars change uh, and add new categories? Is that kind of in their history to, to actually t- take notice bit. and do that? Well, a little bit they do. You know, I think that they have probably haven't added someone on the ballot for a really long time. But, mm. you know, I'm ready for the fight. Mm. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Because the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because, you know, I remember when I decided I wanted to go to beauty school. And I came home and I told my mom and dad. I was a high school athlete. I played football and track and, you know, very successful in that. And when I decided that I wanted to be a hairdresser, they were kind of horrified. They were like, why would you want to do that? You're not going to make any money. You're not going to, you know, you're going to stand on your feet all day long. You're not going to be hugely successful. Maybe you should go be a social worker or maybe you should go be, you know, an attorney or still continue to play football. And I said, well, I don't want to. I want to be a hairdresser. And I think there are a lot of people in the business who go into the business because they really love the idea of being a hairdresser and they really love the idea of service and they want to see how they can make a difference in someone's life because that's what we do as hairdressers every single day. And I think that for me that we aren't on the ballot at the Oscars just proves to me that again, once again, that hairdressers aren't perceived valuable. Right. And, you know, I never hear anyone say they have a bad skin day. I always say hear people have their bad hair day. Right. And I think hair dictates if there was no sound in a movie and all you saw was hair blowing and hair moving and hair stack, it would completely give you a complete feeling of the movie without any words. Love it. <laughs> you know, you know? Uh, every, and every once in a while you do hear an actress up there receiving an award and they'll acknowledge their yeah. hairdresser. Yeah. They'll acknowledge their uh, yes. makeup artist. Yes. So yeah. I deal with that every single day because every single day we're enrolling uh, students in, in my schools Absolutely. and there's mom and dad like looking at me like, is this legitimate? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Because they don't understand, you know, and I think when I decided I wanted to be a hairdresser and I remember the night that I decided it was New Year's Eve, it was 1986 
86? Yeah, I think it was 86. Um, one of my best friends is a hairdresser, and he was very successful. Had a great car and had nice clothes and lived in a fantastic apartment in Austin, Texas. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I kind of thought about being a hairdresser. He said, oh, my God, you should do it. You'd be great at it. I think that you, you would be great at it. The next thing I knew, I was in school. And it just, I loved it. I loved the creativity of it. I loved how being able to see the, how just by the, the power of touch and how someone changes just by that power of touch to see how you give someone a great haircut or hair perm or color or whatever and how they completely light up and how they, if they come in one way, they leave another way. And I think the power of that is hugely, hugely, hugely huge. And I think that people necessarily don't recognize how valuable that is even my some of my celebrity clients they don't understand how valuable it is because if she had to walk down the red carpet at the oscars or she had to walk down the red carpet at the golden globes without any hair or makeup and just a gown yeah she would be on the worst dress list right. period yeah. it wouldn't matter if she's wearing the best gown possible right it wouldn't matter if the hair and you know when i do a lot of photo shoots and you know, editorial and covers and all this i see how the photography if the photography is not very good the hair gets blamed. So the hair gets blamed just about for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I see the importance of it and how, you know, we make such a huge difference. And I love being a hairdresser and I love hairdressers. I got to tell our listeners a little bit more who you are. And I apologize that I'm going to read this, but you, there was too much stuff oh. on your uh, accomplishment list here. So, so you're one of the most sought after editorial runway and celebrity stylists in the business. Uh, your work has appeared in... Many publications, including Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Marie Claire, Vanity Fair, People Style Watch, W, Allure, Backstage at Runway Shows uh, for Chanel, Prada, Dolce Gabbana. Uh, Ted is also a huge influence and presence at both fall and spring New York Fashion Weeks, uh, styling some of the top American fashion designer labels, including Rachel Roy, Carmen, Mark, Volvo, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Pretty incredible list that you got here. Your, your celebrity clients include Anne Hathaway. I love her. She's great. Oh, Deborah Messing. I love her. She's amazing. Uh, I have some amazing clients. I'm so blessed. I'm so fortunate. Yeah, that's not by accident. You're attracting these people. Um, we got to meet Deborah Messing at an event, and she was just so adorable. Yeah, she is. Angelina Jolie is your client. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh gosh, <laughs> Ashley Green. Uh, gosh, Emma Watson. Pretty incredible list there. You're also the resident hair guru on TLC's What Not to Wear, uh, which airs Tuesdays at nine o'clock. You're doing like life changing makeovers. We'll talk about that too. Mm -hmm. You're a regular contributor on the Today Show. You've appeared on Oprah, The Insider, Good Morning America, Inside Edition, Entertainment Tonight, The Early Show, Fox News, CNN, American Morning, and ABC News. Okay, Does this blow man. you away? Okay, when? Okay. <laughs> You're blushing here, but here's the deal. is like our listeners, they want to hear all this. I mean, you don't necessarily say, well, I have been on these shows. You don't say this stuff. But I want to say it because the people who are listening to this are thinking, you know what, well, good for Ted, but what about me? Sure. And so they need to know what you've accomplished yeah. so that they know what they can aspire to. I hear you. Like what you were talking about in the beginning, the fact that you say, you know what, we should be acknowledged at the Oscars. Yeah. Well, they weren't thinking that, but you thought it, so you kind of lead the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always, 
I, I laugh at you know, people will ask for relationship advice from their friend who's been divorced three times and now she <laughs> hates men. Totally. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Totally. Find yeah. people who have accomplished yeah. what you want to accomplish. And, yeah. and that's why you're here today. Thank you. Because uh, so you've nice. accomplished these things and people want to be able to accomplish that too. And, and you know, and I say all the time, look, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I think that the biggest thing about everyone on the planet is, is the fact that sometimes we don't necessarily know what we want. And I think that... If you know exactly what it is that you want, you will do everything you can in order to make sure that that happens for yourself. You know, there have been so many stumbling blocks for me in my career, I would say. And I just get hit in the stomach or get hit in the jaw and I just keep going because I know that those are things that are going to be... Because I think everything is for my good. I really, truly believe that. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe in the law of cause and effect. I believe that... Everything is life-changing and that if you can stay focused and really understand what it is that you want to accomplish, you will accomplish it. And how often do you have to remind yourself of those lessons or those belief systems that everything happens for a reason? Every morning. Okay. I have a morning practice. I meditate for 15 minutes. I read for 15 minutes and I write for 15 minutes. And what that does, that gets me connected to who I am on a daily basis. Okay. So it helps me really understand and remember who I am so that I can be the best I can throughout the rest of the day. I'm going to ask you about that later on. I'm sitting here writing down all these questions. You know, we're going to be here for a while. You got that, right? Okay, okay. I got Okay, it. cool. Uh, now, but Ted, you're also a, a salon owner. You have Ted Gibson Salon. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a product line. Are you? Is it out yet? It is out. Okay, you have a... Jeez, slow down, dude. Product line. Again, you're also an editorial stylist for Celebrities, Runway... You travel the world, you teach others, uh, but I want to go back and let's kind of talk about your upbringing. Mm -hmm. So what was it that made you want to become a hairdresser? Was it because of your friend who drove the cool car and, and kind of had that lifestyle or what, what else inspired you? Well, I think so. I think that had a little bit to do with it, but you know, I'm an only kid. I'm an only child. My dad has since passed away about four years ago, but my dad was in the army. Um, he was a major in the army. That's where that, that discipline comes of from. Of course, right? the discipline definitely comes from him. And, and the fact that, you know, I think as a kid, I was always kind of artistic. And, you know, I used to draw a lot. And I used to do things like that. And I'm sure anytime, that went over really well in your football days. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, every time I would want to touch hair, you know, my dad was not having it. He was not okay with me, even the idea or thought of his only son doing hair. And, you know, I'm gay. I've known I've been gay since I was 15. I've been out of the closet for a really long time. And when I decided that I wanted to be a hairdresser and that I think that there were pieces of it that definitely the nice car and the nice clothes and all of that inspired me towards it. But I think that it was always there. Got it. I think that it was always there. Got it. So pretty humble beginnings in uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I traveled the globe. I mean, you know, we lived in Japan, we lived in Hawaii, we lived in Germany, but we'd always, anytime we'd go overseas, we'd always come back to Texas. Right. Yeah. That's probably a wonderful training as well for mm -hmm. life lessons to be able to live abroad. And... Mm -hmm. I think what it did, it helped me to adapt to different situations rather quickly because being an only kid and having to move to one place to the next, to the next, to the next, I would have to make friends and then leave them make friends, leave them, make friends, leave them. So what it did was it really helped me to adapt to many different situations rather quickly. And then I feel like it really also gave me the idea of what 
different ethnicities and beauty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my tagline is beauty is individual. And I really truly feel like that I can find something really beautiful in anyone, regardless of their size two or size 14 or 24 or whatever. There's always really something that's really beautiful. So did you go to beauty school in Texas? I went to barber school first. Okay. And then after barber school, I mean, it's a long, long story. They usually are. Yeah. To be this successful, it's usually a pretty it was, long journey. It was a long, it was a long story. You know, I when I decided to go to school, my friend was a barber, but he worked in a salon, and there were cosmetology schools in Colleen at the time. But I couldn't go part time, and I was selling newspaper advertising for the local newspaper at the time, and I wanted to go to school. So the only place I could go to school at was in Austin, which was an hour away. So I would drive on Saturday. I would work throughout the week. On Saturdays, I would drive to Austin, go to school all day. And I did that for about five or six weeks and then found out that someone was opening a barber school in Colleen. So I was the first student in that barber school. So I could go part-time at that school. So what I did was I had 1,500 hours. I would work throughout the whole day. Then I would go to school at night. And it took me about a year and a half or so. 1,500 hours. And then I went back to get my teacher's license in the evening again which was a thousand more hours. And I worked on Fort Hood cutting military haircuts. So I would do flat tops and fades and all of that and learned really, really great how to use a clipper. And then I decided that I wanted to move to Austin and to work for who is still my mentor. Well, I call her my life guide now, but she was my mentor then. Her name is Zan Ray. And she was the salon that I worked at. I was an apprentice with her. And I worked with her for about two years. I was her apprentice. She taught me the importance of a great haircut. And she taught me how to great shampoo, great service. So I really got that from Zan. And then from there, I worked at Zan's for about two and a half years. And then this was 1991. And then I moved to Minneapolis to work for Aveda. And I worked for Aveda for a total of seven years. But when I got there, I didn't have a job. I moved without a job. Now, why did you leave Texas then? Because I wanted to be famous. Okay. I did. I wanted to teach. I wanted to do platform work. So what did you do for Aveda in Minneapolis? I first, because I didn't have a cosmetology license, I had a barber's license, so I couldn't teach. So I moved to Minneapolis without a job and then started working at the front desk booking appointments for the students. At the school? At the school. Okay. What then was called the Horst Education Center. Right. And I changed all of that. I Let's see. I was working at the front desk booking appointments. And then um, I found a state that would change my barber's license to a cosmetology license with 300 hours. So I took the bus, the Trailways bus, to Marietta, Georgia, or actually Atlanta, Georgia, and um, to switch my barber's license over to cosmetology license. So you had to be there for 300 hours to, to do that? 300 hours to do that, to switch it over. And then went back to Minneapolis? And then went back to Minneapolis, started teaching. I taught basic cosmetology for about three years. Okay. And then moved over to a global educator and traveled, developed some of their best products that they still have to this, today, and worked directly with Horst. And then Aveda moved me from Minneapolis to New York. And then I um, worked in New York with Aveda for about eight more months or so, mm-hmm. and then left to go into the fashion business to do editorial. What was the best thing that you learned from Aveda and working at that school there in, oh in my Minneapolis? God, there's so many. I would say the power of teaching, because I always tell people, I tell my staff all the time, look, 
if you can teach someone what you know, then it just makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. So if you can teach someone how to cut a bang without you saying, oh, it's just the way that I feel, <laughs> which you is to, BS. Right. Describe you know, it. Describe it. Break explain, it down. Break it down and talk step. about why. Right. What is it that you're doing to create the illusion of a wide face, stronger eyes, you know, high cheek, but whatever, and why you're doing that. And that's what makes the difference. So I always tell my staff, look, if you can teach someone something, what you're doing, all it does, it just makes you stronger. It's the same with anything. I yeah. mean, life skills. If you can teach somebody how to be happy, you're going to be a happier person Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Those are all life skills that Absolutely. people can learn. Absolutely. Yeah, but you went to get your instructor's license while you were still in Texas. I did, but so I couldn't was- use it. Because it was barbers. But what was the drive even back then that you wanted to have that license to teach? You know how, I think what's really incredible about the life's journey is the fact of being around people who can see something in you that maybe you don't. And I would say that my entire life, that's been the case. What do you mean by that? That I have brought people into my life who have showed me something that I didn't know was there. And once I discovered it, knew it was the right thing for me. Hmm. So they knew it before you knew they it. They knew it before I knew it. So you like to be able to turn around and give that back, so to speak. Absolutely. So I think that's what it's about for me. I love that you said that that's what you tell your staff, that for them to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, here we are at Intercofure and mm-hmm. the most famous, famous hairdressers yes. who charge the most money in their salons yes. are teachers, i.e. Yes. I. Beth Minardi, Absolutely. Chris Sorby. Absolutely. You know, these, these are all Gina Khan. Yes. You know, these are famous, famous hairdressers Absolutely. who make a ton of money behind the chair. Yes. But they teach. Yes. I think if it's not the most important thing, it's really right up there. Because if you don't understand how to give what you know, mm-hmm. then you get stagnant and you don't grow. I'm not a hairdresser, but you know, I, I'm a motivational speaker and mm-hmm. I, but that's the challenge that I give to all business owners. Salon owner, you should be a motivational speaker. Yeah. If on a weekly basis in staff to. meeting, you just through to. your words Absolutely. alone, you can move your people Absolutely. and sell your vision Absolutely. and get them to cry and laugh. Absolutely. And oh, that's life changing. Absolutely. I do it every day. We yeah. have a huddle every single morning. You call it a huddle? We, we call, call ours powwow. Yeah. Powwow every, every, every morning. Every morning. And it makes such Good a huge difference because I think what it does, it gets everybody on the same page. Yeah. It helps. You know, we all have our stuff that's going on outside of the salon. Everybody has their own stuff, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, mom, dad, dog, whatever, apartment, whatever. So everybody has their stuff. So if you can get together, if we can get together and really kind of focus in on what the day's goals are Mm -hmm. and how we can become a team, because I always say to them, look, you guys, I can't do it without you. And you can't do it without me in this way. Mm-hmm. Can't. So I want us all to be successful because if I'm successful, you're successful. If you're successful, I'm successful. You know, what's so funny is, I mean, you can so freely and easily express that because it's your belief system. It's in this part of your practice. But what you're saying is is not how a lot of people run their salons, run their businesses. Yeah. You know, they they bring their people. Oh yeah, once a quarter. Really, once a quarter. 
You know, so is that when you check in with your kids too, with oh your with God. your wife, with your husband? Yeah. So once a quarter, you and your spouse meet and talk about what's happening in the family. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any. It doesn't sense make any all. sense, you know. No, but, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. Wow. I love this business. Well, I do. I love this business. I love the fact of being able to see how, you know, someone comes directly out of beauty school and they come and they work and they work hard and they go through education, my apprentice program and. Then after the apprentice program, they get onto the floor. You know, my protege, I call him my protege, his name is Devin Toth. He went to Paul Mitchell School in Frederick, Maryland. And he um, came to me six years ago and worked with me doing everything. He worked with me on photo shoots. He worked with me at shows. He traveled with me, everything. And he started, when he got on the floor, he charged $85 for a haircut. He now charges $150 for a haircut. I love it. By the way, what do you charge for haircut? I charge $950. $950. I do. And we're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. You know, because you were talking about that you have this protege that's mm-hmm. in your salon, is that kind of who you like to hire and train or people right out of beauty school? Yeah. You know, I... Because I kind of want you to send a message out. You know, there's just too much... Uh, <laughs> raping and pillaging in this yeah. industry of stealing staff it's away so from ridiculous. I, don't, I don't understand it's that. so ridiculous all the people that work for us are either just right out of beauty school or moved from another state and oh. wanted to come to new york to you're not taking stylus from the salon no i'm not yeah no i'm not because you know what in the long run in the long run they aren't any happier the reason why they're leaving is because they say they're unhappy because they're not getting what they think that they need right right but they'll never get what they need. Because they have but, to bring themselves to your salon. They have, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll never get what they need. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I want to talk about a little bit about what it takes to get a job in your salon. Mm-hmm. And also to talk about the discipline of all of that. And the message of paying your dues. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I love it that I hear from my students. You know, I want to graduate. And, you know, of course, their list, their wish list sure. of what they want to accomplish in the next three months is, you know, school owner, salon owner, <laughs> session hairdresser. They're going to do Anna Hathaway's hair. They're going to win the Oscar. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do that, that in three months. Mm-hmm. And I'm the last person to say, no, you can't accomplish all of that. Sure. I don't want to. But I do want to say, cool, that's the list. Now let's start working on that. Absolutely. And the discipline that it takes. Because I find that a lot of people, they want the results without the work. Sure. They want the spotlight but they haven't practiced their gig so if they got the spotlight they make a total fool of themselves so talk about you know about paying dues because i'm not saying that you don't have to fold towels because yes you do have to fold towels yes Yes, you you do do. have to sweep hair yes Yes, you you do do. have to so just talk about paying dues okay paying dues well you know i i think that i'm still paying my dues and you know even at the stage that all the things that you read off you know i'm i'm still paying my dues and you know i what i tell people is look If you want to be successful, this is the road or the avenue that you have to do. You have to come and work in a salon and be an apprentice. Because if you want to be able to charge $150, $250, $300, $500 for a haircut, you have to do that. Because you need that experience. You need that knowledge. You need that finesse. You need that consultation and talking to your guests when they're sitting in the chair. You need all those things. And... I wouldn't have been able to do that 10 years ago. I wouldn't have been able to do that 15 years ago. Mm. So I think that everything happens the way that it's supposed to happen. And, you know, I love reality TV, but I think reality TV gives a false message or even sometimes a false hope because they see someone on television who is no one 
and ends up being someone and how it seems like it's happened that quickly. Mm-hmm. And reality TV does show that, but it's not necessarily reality. That's what's so funny and bizarre about it because it does take a long time for people to be hugely successful. So for somebody to be a, an apprentice in your salon so mm-hmm. that you hire them right out of beauty school, first yes. of all, what does it take for you to want to be interested in them? So if they're coming in, because I'm, I'm, I'm asked that question all the time, well, how do I get them to notice me? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, well, first of all, go get dressed. <laughs> right. You know, put on something go, nice. Exactly. Don't put on a t-shirt to come for an interview. Right. You know, you want to look hot. You want to look like you already have the job. Well, because they'll say to me, you know, well, you know, I sent them an email. I'm like, really? One email won't get you into Harvard. No, it won't. Because you know what? We get 50 a day. Yeah. So... You know, I was talking about that yesterday morning in our huddle because there was a gentleman who just finished beauty school. That last IBS, we did IBS in 2011. And he was one of the winners. Um, I had a contest and I was only supposed to pick one person, one beauty school student to come and assist me during fashion week last week, last season. So I couldn't pick one because the stories were incredible. So I picked four. You're such a sucker. I couldn't do it. There was no way that I could pick one. So I picked four. So this young kid, Alan Atkins from Boston, came down and he assisted me during Fashion Week, went on and helped me on a photo shoot right after the day after. And then he didn't finish school till the end of the summer, sent emails all throughout the summer, sent emails after he finished. I mean, and that's what I say, and I talked about it yesterday, And I mentioned him yesterday in the huddle. I said, because I was talking about how if there's something that you really, really want, you have to ask many times. And if maybe if you asked once and it was maybe it wasn't the right way or someone didn't hear you or it wasn't clear enough or maybe you need to ask it a different way. Even if it's the same question, maybe ask it a different way. Mm -hmm. And that's what this kid did. Mm -hmm. So he got the job because he was persistent and he wanted to make sure that he got his slot. And he did that. I mean, I love that message because, again, it, it does take... And sometimes it's just timing and... Sure. I said, you know, well, did they tell you no? No, I just didn't hear it back. Well, then right. keep asking. Keep asking. You know, until they say, absolutely yeah, not. There is no happening. hope for you. Absolutely. Until you hear those words, yeah. you know, the answer is still yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people, the, the type of place that you would want to hire you, they're very, very busy. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're sitting around doing nothing, you probably wouldn't want to work there. At all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's say when somebody comes in for a job, mm-hmm. you know, so they send emails, they're making phone calls, they're persistent, they're persistent, sure. which you love and mm-hmm. you recommend that. Yes. Then they come in. What does that need to look like? And by the way, the people listening to this right now, so some of you are at a beauty school and you're wanting to get the job. And so this is valuable information for you. But others listening to this, you are uh, leaders who have power to hire people Mm -hmm. and so you know take ted's advice on how to set people up to win you know Mm -hmm. meaning you don't want it to be a guessing game for people people want to do the right thing we'll teach them what doing the right thing looks like Mm -hmm. and and teach them you really want a job here be persistent Mm -hmm. you know show up looking like this Mm -hmm. so once you actually give them an opportunity to meet with them what does that need to look like for you well what it does you want them to look their best you want them to look like they've already got the job And then what we do is we do an informational interview first. Mm -hmm. We have them fill an application. Then they have to bring back models. And then after the models, we assess where they are and decide if they're a right fit. But, you know, I always say that you can teach someone how to cut hair if they have the desire. 
You can teach someone how to color hair if they have the desire. You can teach someone how to have great service, but you can't really necessarily teach someone good energy. I think that someone either has good energy or they don't. And I really look for energy more than I just look for necessarily talent. Because if you're teachable, you can be taught. But if you're not teachable, then I'm not going to waste my time. Because it won't be a good end result. And there won't be any longevity in it at all. I've heard so many... uh salon owners say that when they hired somebody based solely on their technical skills, it never worked out. Never works out. It's like, wow, that was the most airbrushed, perfect haircut I've ever seen. You've got the job. But they did not consider the person's energy you know, or attitude or lifestyle yeah. or whatever. It, yeah. it never worked out. Never, never works. Never works. Because you know what I always say? It doesn't matter how technically great you are and good you are when you're behind the chair. Mm-hmm. Because... You can be mediocre and have an amazing business, but you can be very, very technical and great at that and have a terrible personality and be starving. Did you watch uh, Oprah's very last show? Not the one in the theater with all the uh, celebrities. It was just Oprah for an hour just talking to the audience. No, I missed No, nothing, just Oprah talking. It was like the best motivational speech I've ever heard. But she said something in there, and I need to go back as I recorded it. I need to go back and she said that she got some poster for somebody that in this poster is in her office that says something like, be responsible for the energy that you're bringing into my space. I mean, you mm-hmm. get that all the time. It's like these people walk in, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. What did you just bring into this space? You know, you brought the fight with your boyfriend into my space right now. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with me. You know, be accountable for that. Be responsible mm-hmm. for that. How do you determine then if somebody has good energy? And by the way, you also use the word desire like three times. You, you talked about, do they have a desire for this? Do they have a, you use that word three times. Mm-hmm. So how important is is them knowing that they have that that <laughs> I'm you just know that they have you, that sorry. desire? <laughs> and how do you determine that they have good energy? Well, I I think that oh, how do I determine that someone has good energy? I it's hard for me to explain what that is. I think it's an openness. I think it's a security. I think that it is a balance in the core of who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be taught, Mm -hmm. but if you're at a certain age, I don't think it can be taught. Mm -hmm. I think it's either innate in your soul and every fiber of your being or yeah, I think it's hard to teach it. Mm -hmm. What about desire? I mean, you want people to want this yeah. really, really bad. And why? Because it's not easy work. Right. It's not easy work. And I say, I'm like, look, you decided you wanted to be a hairdresser. That's amazing. It's the best business possible. But if you think you're going to go to beauty school, come and work in a salon, and think it's just going to be glamorous and whatever, you have another thing coming because Mm. it's not that. Mm. Sure, it's glamorous, but also it's work. You Mm. have to think about cutting and coloring someone's hair. You have to think about selling retail and home care. You have to think about making sure that they book their next appointment. You have to listen to what's happening in their lives. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to stand on your feet. You have to do all of those things. 
And all of those things aren't necessarily that easy. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to desire it. You have to have something inside of you that loves either the craft or Mm -hmm. loves doing something for someone else. Isn't that kind of funny? Because uh, I mean, again, my experience is not yours. Mine is as a speaker. And so Mm -hmm. people will see me on a stage in front of 2000 people in Las Vegas. And they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I want to do that. Yeah. I'd give anything. I'm like, really? Would you give anything? Yeah. You know, then follow me on the road for, (laughs) you know, would you be willing to give up 15 years of your life? And, uh, Mm -hmm. Because usually my audience was, you know, 10 people in the worst city, in the worst part of that city, in the worst hotel, (laughs) you know, with 10 people who are pissed that they have to be there. Their boss forced them to be in my seminar. And that's my audience. And that's your audience. And and then you do it the next day and the next day and the next day, city to city to city. Yeah, that's what it takes. And it's a sacrifice, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. people don't think that. I think people think you just become successful and you're just successful and that there is no sacrifice. But there's sacrifices involved in success, you know no sleep and you know thinking about the business and making sure that you motivate the staff all the time and you know keep them on target and you know so that they can buy their Louis Vuitton shoes and their Louis Vuitton bag and you know and I say look you know if you really want those things they just don't appear with a genie rubbing his belly or (laughs) rubbing the lamp of a genie you know they appear because you work you work hard for it when somebody comes in for uh because you said you want them to be a, a good fit. So obviously I'm, what I'm thinking is that they're coming in and they're just kind of shadowing or they're just kind of hanging out in the salon and they're assisting. They haven't got the job yet, but do you have them do something like that? Not usually. No. Not usually. The salon, New York salon has been open seven years. Mm-hmm. In the seven years, I would say we have had a lot of employees. Mm-hmm. And I think... It takes a length of time for us. It's taken a length of time to really hone in on what our culture is. I think that we've always been very clear about our culture, but I don't think necessarily that we have followed in hiring specific people that we think would be part of that culture. <laughs> what went wrong? I mean, what, what did you, you just got lazy. You got busy. You got, no, I just think they that, fooled you. They fooled me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, when people come in for an interview, a lot of times they have their best foot forward, of course, of course. they want the job, mm-hmm. and then two days later, they're not necessarily the best fit for it. Do you have other staff that kind of help you in the process of interviewing? Yes, thank God. Because they might fool you, but not of them. Of course, thank God. I know, <laughs> right. Thank God. I remember, uh, you, know, you know, Gene Juarez <laughs> yes. told me that uh, he walked into one of his salons one day, and it was just, everybody was there on time, the place was clean. Um, everybody was doing their job. Everybody was following the rules, and there was just no energy. No energy. It was just boring energy. Interesting. And what he realized was his managers, who were not hairdressers, were in charge of hiring hairdressers. And he said managers hire manageable people. Of course. So they'll hire somebody because Absol- they're on time and all these things, which are important. He says. Sure. He says, but you know, hairdressers are kind of rule breakers. And yeah, so, you so need they, a little bit of that. Exactly. You need a little bit of that yeah, drama because yeah. that's what creates the fun and absolutely, energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now he says hairdressers hire hairdressers. That's great. Mm. I totally get that. And you know, I think for me, it's important to have all those multicultural, multidimensional people because I think it adds interest to the space. You know, and I, what I love about my New York salon and everyone says when they come off the elevator into the space, they can feel that it's great energy. And that there's really positive, warm, because most people think if you're charging $950 for a haircut, you're expected to come into some snooty place. And it's not snooty at all. It's very chic. See, I would feel the exact opposite. I would feel like the snooty environment wouldn't 
be worth fifty dollars. You know. <laughs> anyway, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how, explain this salon to us then. Well, so where's it located? Mm-hmm. Uh, how? What's this square footage? How many mm-hmm. chairs are in there? What? It, talk to us about it. Okay, it's been open seven years. It's on Fifth Avenue between Twenty Second and Twenty Third Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exact address is One Eighty Four Fifth Avenue. It's on the second floor. Okay. It's right across the street from the Flatiron Building. Um, it's in a great location. It's very destination. It's not on the first floor. It's very, very destination. It's about 25, 2,600 square feet. Oh, that's a good size. Mm-hmm. We have 14 chairs. Mm-hmm. We have four shampoo bowls. I used to have a celebrity room, but every time I would do celebrities at the salon, they didn't want to be in the, in the celebrity room. They wanted to be out in, so people could see them. You know, right. That's just how it is. So we have great office space. We have a break room. We retail Ted Gibson and we retail L'Oreal Professional. Mm-hmm. We use L'Oreal Professional hair, hair color. My husband, Jason Baki, is um, the celebrity colorist for L'Oreal Professional. He does lots of trainings with them and travels the globe with them and does a lot of celebrities. And, you know, we're coming up on 10 years in two years, so we're in the process of renegotiating our lease. Mm-hmm. And then I'm building a salon in Fort Lauderdale at the W Hotel that should be open um, at the end of November. I'm really excited about that. That space is about 1,800 square feet. It has 14 chairs. It has Enoa Color Atelier. Um, it's right on the first floor as you walk in. So you'll divide your time between the two places? Yeah. Talk to me then about, because you, you're mentioning that like people get off the elevator and there's beautiful energy and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Give a shout-out to the, the importance of the boss, the owner, knowing and feeling and having a good pulse on the salon, sure. on, on their space. Sure. And a lot of them walk in and there could be major drama and they're completely aloof yeah. to, to what's going on. You know, I mean, you just walk in and you just, you just feel what's happening. You know, what's the morale like here mm-hmm. today? What are people feeling today? Mm-hmm. And, and talk to us about the importance of that. Well, you know, I think that energy it goes from the top to the bottom. So morale and as an owner, as a salon owner, I have to take it upon myself um, to make sure that everyone is where they should be, Mm -hmm. are on the right path to where they should be. And being able to motivate them and being able to give them energy and being able to rah, rah, rah so that they can be the best that they can be and in turn be the best that they can be for their guests when they come in the salon. Now, when you're in the salon, you're busy behind the chair yourself. I'm doing both, yeah. So I am in my office, I'm doing clients, I'm in my office, I'm doing clients. And $950, part of the reason why I have it so high is because my focus isn't necessarily, you know, I can say that if you stand behind the chair 12 hours a day, that you are an amazing individual. Mm -hmm. Because I can't. Mm -hmm. I've never been able to really stand behind the chair for that length of time. Hmm. And now, especially is, is the fact that, you know, my, everything else that I do, it's not so important for me to be behind the chair. What's important for me is to bring it back to the salon and bring it back to the salon mm-hmm. and take it out to the universe and bring it back to the salon. Mm-hmm. Cause I see that my, that's part of the reason why I have my haircut so high so that I don't have to be extremely booked in the salon. Right. I probably do, I would say 15 a month, which is enough. Right. So, okay, well, describe for us a $950 haircut. Mm -hmm. 
I do everything. Mm-hmm. I do my own shampoos. I do what is called stress relieving experience. I do a scalp massage, a neck massage, and shoulder massage with hot towels. I do a really good brush through the hair. I shampoo them myself. I bring them back. I cut the hair after I cut her. I do all the blow dries. Uh, she gets a hand treatment. After she gets her hand treatment, she's blown out. You know, I use hot tools. So I use a curling iron or a flat iron, depending on what that is. I'm with them for a total of about a, an hour and 15 minutes. I walk them to the changing room. I get their retail, bring it up to the front desk. I wait for them at the front desk, make sure I say goodbye, make sure they book their next appointment and see them the next time. Do you ever have to defend your $950 price? <laughs> yes, even sometimes to hairdressers. Right. Yeah. Actually, that was the audience I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. And, even and sometimes and- to hairdressers. Are they angry at you? I mean, I would think that they'd be thrilled because, wow, he's doing it. I can do it too. No, I think that it depends he on the He set a really high bar. Why, why would be, yeah. people be upset about that? Well, because I think that if a hairdresser who's normally upset about it is the one that's not raising their price every single year. Hmm. It's the one who isn't understanding their value. And understanding what they do every single day is hugely, hugely, hugely one of the most important things in the world. Hmm. And generally, those are the ones who are who are a little upset or say, why in the world are you charging $950, you know, for a haircut and, you know, why and what gives you the right or whatever. And then you have the other ones like, hell yes, I'm so glad you are because what you're doing is you're raising the level. And that's what I want to do. I want to be able to show people how valuable we are and that if you're not raising your prices every single year, you need to be raising your prices and because you're worth it. You're not, you're not. There's no way you're doing this from an ego standpoint. Not at all. Standpoint. You're doing it from kind of a championing the Absolute, industry. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, again, that's what everybody said about you. You know, all the all your uh, co-conspirators <laughs> in this amazing industry. Thank you. You know, so that Ted's a great champion for what we're all about. Thank you. I want to ask you a question about your father. You said that he passed away four years ago. Mm-hmm. So he was able to see... A lot of your Some success. Of it, yes, he was. So what was that? I think that he was really, really, really proud. You know, I think that he, um, you know, I'm not expected, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not five foot eight. I'm not blonde hair and blue eyed. I am not expected. Mm-hmm. So... People always think that I'm some white dude from England if they don't know who I am. Right. <laughs> Ted Gibson, they just, they, for some reason, they do. And I'm not. I'm black. I'm gay. <laughs> I'm six foot three. I'm 250 pounds. And, you know, I am extraordinary because of it. And I use it to my advantage. Well, you know how you said in the beginning, everything happens for a reason. Yes. You know, there's a reason why you look the way you look. Yes. Because you're, you're breaking that mold and that perception of what yes. other people have of, of how somebody this successful should look. Absolutely. Huh? Absolutely. And yeah. I love it. My good friend, Stephanie Kachelski, who's, you know, so successful and high in, in both the salon world and, you know, teaching and platform work all mm-hmm. over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that she makes fun of that too. She's like, you know, I'm not the, you know, size zero, mm-hmm. you know, beauty queen out there doing mm-hmm. hair. I remember mm-hmm. Ruth Roach talking about that. You know, mm-hmm. she wanted to be successful. Her mentor was Vivian McKendra. So she thought mm-hmm. I have to speak with a Southern accent and yeah. 
you know, come out on the stage like a ballerina. She's like, yeah. that's not me. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love when people can break those molds. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be interesting today to see, you know, I have a, the performance here during the coiffure at 4.15, and, you know, I'm really nervous about it because I do things different. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. It is kind of interesting how, you know, to be as successful as you are in the industry that you would almost expect that this would be the industry that would kind of support you the most. And sometimes it's the industry that kind of sits back with their arms folded, like really, really without a doubt, prove it without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And and yeah, well, I'm on that stage before you are. So uh, (laughs) good. Will you warm it up a little bit? bit. Will you please? Oh, please. My speech is right over there. It's 30 minutes and I put more time in this 30 minute speech than I do into a, you know, 10 hour speech. Oh my gosh. I know. It is. Cause you want to, it's a very educated audience. It's sure. a very, you know, exclusive audience. Sure. And, you, and you want to be able to deliver something that moves Absolutely. people, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah, rattle really the cage a little bit. It. Rattle the cage. Okay. I'm going to rattle them a little All bit. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> well, at least I won't be the only one. <laughs> good. Wait and Ted. They think they are. They think they are. All right. Okay, I know people are thinking this, so I just what? have to ask it. Okay, so what's it like to be sitting there doing uh, Angelina Jolie's hair? Incredible. Now, is she coming to the salon or are you going I've on been sets? Or? Everywhere with her, this woman. You everywhere. Dog. You lucky guy. Everywhere. Okay, talk about Angelina Jolie. Well, you know, I would say that one of the most rewarding experiences I've had in a relationship with any of my guests and any of the celebrities that I work on. And the reason why is because I would say that she put me on the map. And the reason why I say that is, is because when I started working with her, it was who's doing Angelina's hair. Who's doing Angie's hair. Oh my God. Who's doing her hair. And people wanted to know. Mm -hmm. And how I met her is I was doing a lot of editorial for all the magazines. And I was particularly doing some with Marie Claire magazine and the fashion director at the time said, you know, Ted, you know, I'm getting ready to shoot a cover. And, you know, I did not want to do celebrities at all. Why not? Because I wanted to be a fashion hairdresser. I wanted to do shows. I wanted to do campaigns for, you know, all the major designers. And I wanted to do campaigns for Neiman Marcus and Saks. And, you know, that's where I wanted my career to be. Okay. Then covers were happening and they were all celebrities mm-hmm. so if you ever wanted to do a cover of a magazine you had to do celebrities mm-hmm. so Lucy Sykes the fashion director came to me and said Ted you know I'm getting ready to shoot someone and you know I don't know if you'd want to do it I'm like well who well I'm shooting um, the covers of Marie Claire Cosmo's going to do it too all in one day with Patrick de Marchelier and it's Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. in London. <laughs> do you think you'd want to do it? I'm like, okay. All right. Showed up. It's amazing. Mm. It was amazing. We hit it off. I understood what she was about. Mm. All of that, Angelina, that was me, half up, half down, all up. Goddess. That was all me. And she taught me that. That's what was so incredible. What do you mean she taught you that? Well, she, 
because I'm so open mm -hmm. that she taught me how to express who she is. And I helped her with that. And I think that that's what has been my talent. Mm -hmm. I really feel like that what I can do for women is help them discover who they are mm -hmm. and their image. And then when I've done that, then I don't need to necessarily work with them any longer. Hmm. I mean, it's you, interesting. Something like Angelina Jolie. Yeah, she's always been kind of famous, but even kind of the beginning of her career where she was starting to use her name and her power for, sure. for bringing awareness and sure. to different causes and yeah. stuff. So it's kind of it's no surprise that somebody like her would be attracted to somebody like you. Thank you. Which I think is a good message as well. It's like Thank people, you, you know, that, or just even in dating, you know, they want somebody to, mm -hmm. who's, who's this, 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 and this, but you aren't those things. I know, so it doesn't make sense. <laughs> they want somebody who's honest and somebody who, you know, will be faithful and yet you know, they're <laughs> the opposite of that. So, yeah. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay, so talk to us, uh, share with our listeners what it's like then at LA or New York Fashion Week. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's really Crazy, this, crazy. Yeah, this past season we only did three shows, which was enough for me. We did Rachel Roy, we did Carmen Mark Valva, and we did Lila Rose. And last season we did seven. And what it is is that I'm doing clients in the salon, I'm doing a test for a show, I'm doing the actual show, then I'm doing a celebrity, and then I'm shooting a cover of a magazine, and then I'm doing a fashion story all within that two weeks of fashion week. Right. So three shows is plenty, is really enough. And how much preparation goes into getting ready for those three shows? Um, normally, You're not I, showing up that day and saying, let no, me do this. we have a hair test before. Right. So I meet with the designer and um, I talk to her or him about who their woman is for mm -hmm. the season and what she looks like and where she's been and you know how she feels and you know, who she wants to be and all of those things. And then I come up and design a hair for the clothes. You know, back to, uh, you know, paying your dues and everything. Because yeah. I'll get that too. Hey, I want to do Angelina Jolie's hair. I'm like, oh, how about if you start with your local um, celebrity who just, who just won Miss Provo or Absolutely. something? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Because that's a great start. I want to do New York fashion. It's a great start. How about just doing the hair for the... Uh, you know, local Barbizon Beauty College or Barbizon Modeling. Is that Barbizon? The Modeling Barbizon, College? Yeah, exactly. You know, go, go do their hair before great, you think you're going to end up in New York fashion. Great experience. Incredible experience. And, you know, I've just about everyone that is celebrities in Hollywood that are A-list, I've pretty much done. And it's, it's, I've, I'm so grateful for mm -hmm. my career and what I've been able to accomplish and the things that I'm going to accomplish. So Anne Hathaway. Cool. Yeah. What's she like? She's great. I've known her. I mean, we call her Annie. So Annie, I've known, I want to say eight years. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with her for a long time. Uh, did did you the... do her hair when she was hosting the... Uh... I didn't. I was busy. I couldn't do what it. What the heck were you thinking? I know. I was watching the Ra Rachel Zoe project yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, You know, because yeah. she did all the gowns. Yeah. The, it was yeah. seven or eight different gowns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do it for the Oscars, no. Oh. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me switch gears here for mm -hmm. a little bit. It seems like a lot of my questions have to do with uh, the things that I hear from my beauty school students, you mm -hmm. know, so I... Sure. Six months into beauty school, they already have an opinion. I don't like perms. 
And I'm like, really? I don't like finger waves. You already have an opinion. Yeah. I don't want to do finger waves. Yeah. So send a message out about that. Oh, my God. Don't the be, discipline Don't be crazy. Hair. Do it. Don't be crazy because you never know what's going to inspire you later. And if you don't know how to do it, you're going to be left out in the cold. If you decide that you want to do a celebrity for an event... And she says, you know, I'm really thinking about maybe kind of this Marilyn Monroe wave or I'm thinking about this, you know, really beautiful Veronica Lake wave or and you don't know how to do pin curls or you don't know how to do um, uh, finger wave because you don't want to learn it in beauty school. You've just done yourself a huge injustice. You have. It's so that foundation work is something you'll use throughout your entire career because mm -hmm. everything is about basic. And it's, what is expanded upon is from combining all of the basic functions mm -hmm. of haircutting as well as hairstyling. Well, I also see it in, again, they're still in beauty school, but they're choosing whether or not they're more excited about cutting hair or coloring hair. You know, like the, the cool dudes, I want to, I'm a cutter and they, mm -hmm. you know, they yeah. swing their scissors sure. around and everything. Sure. And sure. then. And sometimes you look at these teams, like the colorists are girls and the cutters yeah. are, are a lot boys. Of times. Mm -hmm. You know, so are you a colorist? I'm like a hairstylist. Okay. I can I I play a, a colorist on television, <laughs> but I'm not a colorist. But you, <laughs> someone else formulates it. Right. Jason formulates it for me for what not to wear, and then I apply it. Got I can it. do an application, but I can't formulate. I turn everyone green. Right. And I'm not good with it at all. Got it. <laughs> at what point in your career did that kind of happen? Where you said. I'm not going to be good at this or, or I'm not going to pursue that and I'll just pursue this side. I think I was probably here just for like maybe four or five years. Okay. And decided that, you know what? I'm definitely stronger at cutting and styling than I am coloring hair. So what's your message to beauty school students then about? I think it really depends on the market that you live in. I think that if you live in a smaller market that you have to do both, I completely get it. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a larger market or medium to larger market, I think you should specialize mm -hmm. because I do think that most people are generally better at one than they are the other. Definitely. So you're doing this thing today yes. for Intercofira where you're teaching a bunch of hairdressers. Yeah. How often are you now teaching? I've been doing a lot of shows lately. Um, what um, kinds of shows? Like hair shows. Okay. So I've been going to. Well, I knew that. I well, mentioned it <laughs> What do you mean? Yes. I'm sorry. Sorry. What? So you are educating. I am. What other shows are there? Oh, well, you have, you're, you're your TV. Okay. Got I, it. I educate my staff, but I yeah, I do a few hair shows. Okay. Yeah. So you're. In I'm getting ready to do something really cool. Are you really going to tell cool. us? I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. Okay. Tell me okay, now. March 23rd. Through the 27th. Of 2000... 2012. 12. Yes. Okay. I'm doing Ted Gibson Academy at Sea. So I'm doing an educational event. It's four days. Mm -hmm. It's going to be on a cruise that's sailing from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas. It'll be two days of education. Haircutting, hair color, business building, drinks, dinner, musical guests. DJ the whole bit, so you'll be able to have two days of education as well as having fun and party. Good for you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. How many people? Um, what's we, your capacity? Capacity is about 1,200. And uh, what's the cost of that? It starts at 800 for four days. That's just for the education? Or that includes the cruise and everything? Everything. You're kidding. No. Wow. I'm very excited about it. So so who are the other educators? People from It's going to your... be Jason Bakke, okay. who is the celebrity colors from L'Oreal Professional. Right. And then we're working on some others, but I think it's mostly going to be just him and I. 
And then who's doing the business side? Is that you as well? We're, it's going to be us. Well, talk to us then about, because that was kind of one of the things, like, mm-hmm. where, like where'd you get the business background? Because, sorry, you can't open up a salon in, on Fifth Avenue, <laughs> you know, and just think that your pretty face uh, yeah. is going <laughs> to... Yeah, that's what my mother says. Where did you get that from? She calls me Junior. She's like, Junior, where did you get that from? How do you know how to do business? I'm like, you know, I think that one of the things that I try to do is listen. Keep my mouth shut and just listen. So I've listened to people over the years about how to run business. And that's what's made a difference for me. And just having a sense of how to market, because I think marketing and PR is crucial. Um, Branding and how to create a brand for yourself, whether it's a small brand or a big brand. And think of yourself as a brand and how you can market and your PR for it and have a unique point of difference from anyone else. So Ted Gibson is a... Person, you're sitting right here, but yes. Ted Gibson is also a brand. Yes, Ted Gibson, the person is big T, little big G. Ted Gibson, the brand is lowercase T and lowercase G. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, so you don't confuse yourself. So you don't confuse your, myself. Wait, right. wait, wait. Where? <laughs> right. Yeah, and, so, and it's working. You know, when you're when you're in front of an audience mm-hmm. at, at doing these hair shows, you know, what are some of the topics where? In the course of an hour, you, there's a hundred topics. What are some of the topics when you start addressing these, all of a sudden your audience goes, <gasps> what are some of the, like, the ahas that are just capturing people these days? I think the $950 haircut, the part about that they are worth it, making sure that they raise their price. I think that if it's an hour class, it's hard to be so technical but I think that if they can get one thing out of the way that I cut hair, that I've done my job. What do you think it is that they're getting? It could be the way that I cut a bang. It could be the fluidness of the scissor. It could be the way that I section. It could even be the robe that she was wearing. You know, so I think that it it can be just really simple things. And if it's just one thing, then I really think that I've done my job. Do you believe that self-esteem is a challenge in our industry? Yes, I do. So when you say that, you're, I do. you're, you're trying to teach people that they're worth it. And that's, yes, I do. Talk to us about that message and that curriculum. Well, because, you know, I think that people generally... But particularly in this business, because anything that is subjective and beauty is subjective, Mm -hmm. anything that is subjective, I think can sometimes make people a little insecure. So just like in the fashion business, it's very insecure business because one minute you're really, you're on top of it and the next minute you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, as Heidi Klum says, you're in or you're out, you know? So it breeds insecurity. So I think that in this business, it can do the same thing. So if you can be, and if I can be very strong in my foundation, and that that's what makes a huge difference. Okay. Talk to me as though I am a seasoned professional. Mm -hmm. What's the best advice that you have for me? Mm -hmm. Because 
I'm sure you see it a lot that it's just so easy to fall into a routine. A rut, sure, in a rut. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I'm successful, so it's not. I'm not the the sure. new guy who's Absolutely. trying to figure out how to make a car payment. Absolutely, car is taken care of. The mortgage is taken Absolutely. care of. I'm making money. Absolutely, but it's just a routine. Mm-hmm. What's the advice that you have for me? Raise your price. Change it up. You said that a lot. Yeah, raise your price. Raise your price and then give those clients that don't want to necessarily come to you to the next person behind you. Because what that does is it keeps you fresh. Because if you're doing the same, I don't want to do the same clients all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason why. Unless it's Angelina Jolie and Anne Hathaway. Of course. But you know what? After that, I want to do the up and comers. I love, you know, the Ashley Greens and I love the Chloe Moritz, who you're going to hear a lot about. I love Jessica Chastain, who you're going to be hearing a lot about. You know, I love Christina Ricci, who I've been doing for a long time, who's now back on her game again. Mm-hmm. So I love being able to work with girls who, uh, Zoe Saldana, who is going to be, you know. So I love those girls who keep me fresh. Mm-hmm. And that's how I keep fresh, because I don't want to work with the ones who already have their image. Mm-hmm. Like, someone just called me last week and wanted me to work with her. And I'm like, I don't really need to. Because you already have your thing. It's not going to do anything for me, and it's really not going to do anything for you. Right. It's no, it's no, there's no sense in that. So I think that if a hairdresser who's seasoned, who's been around for a really long time to keep themselves fresh, it's not necessarily about education. It's about changing the dynamic and the energy of who you are. Okay. Now take off your uh, stylist hat and put mm-hmm. on your business hat. Okay. You know, and I just think that, you know, business owners, they have power. Sure. And sometimes it's, they abuse the power. And, and when I say abuse, it's because of, they're not taking responsibility. Sure. You know, because there's a space that you've created and people are living in that space for eight hours or 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And whatever they experience in those eight or 12 hours in your space, in your business, mm-hmm. they're now taking home. Mm-hmm. And so put on that business hat. And mm-hmm. what's the advice that you have to uh, you know, business owners? Okay. What I know is the fact that I am responsible for a lot of people. I have people's livelihoods. I have how they feel about themselves. I have a responsibility as a salon owner to make sure that people are happy mm-hmm. because they work for me. And I want them to be happy because I don't want to be surrounded by people who aren't happy. Mm-hmm. So I know that it's my responsibility that whatever they're doing through those 8 to 12 hours a day, when they leave, I'm hoping that they have learned something, that they have gotten something beneficial. Sure, they've gotten a paycheck. That's a given, but I hope that they've learned a life lesson because everywhere that I've worked, I've had that same experience. I've had those life lessons from everyone that I've, every job that I've had, mm-hmm. whether it was working, selling newspaper advertising for the Clean Daily Herald or working at the veterinarian when I was 14 years old or, um, you know, working at Jeans West in the Clean Mall you know, that I've gotten all of these experiences and I've gotten something from each and one of those. So I hope that whatever I'm giving them, that it will be lifelong, not just working at Ted Gibson. So now talk to me as though I'm brand new in the industry. So I'm still in beauty school. I'm, I've just graduated. I'm trying to make my mark. I'm trying to find my way. I'm trying mm-hmm. to find out you know, where I'm going to end up. Mm-hmm. What's the advice that you have for oh me? Oh my God. I'm so glad that you decided to go into this business because this business is amazing. 
You're going to have the time of your life. But just know that it's hard work. You just know that. But you have to be ready for it. You have to know that this business, you can be so rewarded in it because there's so many opportunities just by having this beauty school license. Just by having this beauty school license, you can be a salon owner. You can be an editorial hairdresser. You can work on celebrities. You can work on television. You can work in movies. You can do aesthetics. You can do makeup. You can do all of that if you want. But just by having that license and being dedicated to your craft, you can create whatever it is that you want. Mm. And the challenge for you is to really decide what that's going to be. And what I encourage you to do is to write it down, mm. feel it out, talk to many as people as you can, get a feel. When people come to apply at my salon, I said, have you been to other salons yet? No, no. You have to go to other salons. And these are the ones you should, all the ones you've heard about, all the ones you've read about, go and see every single one of them because it's so important for you to do that for yourself because I don't want you to be here. And you've been here for two months or you've been here for six months and you've been here for eight months and you decide, you know what? This isn't right for me. I don't want you to do that because it's not good for you and it's not good for me. Mm. See all of them so that you can make the decision what's going to be right for you. Great advice. Sidel Miller, who was uh, mm-hmm. co-founders of uh, Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, taught me that to be successful in this industry, you need three things. You need to, first of all, love what you do. Mm-hmm. Love who you do it with mm-hmm. and love who you do it for. Mm-hmm. That's totally you, that's isn't it? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you love this industry, don't you? I do. I'm so fortunate. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm so, so, so fortunate. The fact that I have found something that I love to do, that I can make a great living and that I share it with my husband, that I, it, 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 it makes me speechless because it's so incredible. It really is. Ted, do you have a final message for our listeners? Um, My final message would be that, you know, there is nothing greater than being a hairdresser. And I've said that many, many times throughout the 70s minutes that there's nothing better than being a hairdresser. And the fact that those of you who are listening are in this business, are thinking about this business, are, are trying to decide if you want to go to beauty school that you should do it because you can do so many things. You can be a stay at home mom and do hair at night. You can create money for your family. You can be rewarded by seeing how someone changes just by how giving them an amazing haircut or hair color. And to be honest, 950 isn't even worth it. I mean, it's worth more than even 950. Mm-hmm. It really is. You speak well. Thank you. I'm glad there's people like you who put the ego aside, which doesn't mean that you're not confident. You know, ego is the opposite of self-esteem and confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you put that aside and it's about championing this industry and you, you give me hope. So, Thank you so much. thanks, Ted. Brilliant. Thank you.